Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I hope you guys are doing well today. I'm having a great day. I got to work out this morning. I got to go fishing with a buddy from church as well. Caught, I think, five this morning, so that's pretty good. They're starting to bite this morning. But I'm talking to a new friend today. I actually just met him about a month and a half ago, something like that. I'm talking to Matt Reynolds. Matt, how's it going, brother? Good, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast. That's a big day already. What kind of what kind yeah. of fishing were you doing? Uh, bass fishing. So I've got two ponds oh, in nice. my neighborhood that I've got access to. And when I, through the spring, summer, fall, when I meet with guys and do discipleship stuff, I have them meet at my house, which is where my office is. And then I'll take them down fishing if it's nice weather. Oh, that's and perfect. so we'll talk about whatever we're going through, whether whether it be a book or just talking about life and that kind of, that sort of thing. And we'll go fishing together. And I found that it's, you know, pretty helpful to, to kind of break down some barriers that you get. You know, the coffee stuff yeah, is great sure. sitting down face to face, that kind of stuff. That's, that's, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but I've really enjoyed being able to get to know some guys at the church just by fishing together. Yeah, I love that. Uh, smallmouth or largemouth? Large largemouth. Yeah, everything here with lakes, yeah, yeah. ponds. There's there's really no smallmouth around except for a few yeah. small creeks and, and rivers in the area. Now, when we go to the river next month, when we go down to the Jack's Fork and Current River, there's tons of, uh, of, of smallmouth bass, and those things fight. And it's a lot of fun to catch those. In the river? In the so? river. Yep, in absolutely. River? Yep, I caught a smallmouth uh, three or four years ago in the river. And nice. then there's trout and, you know, that sort of thing. And sure. Other kind of river fish. But, well, I'm looking forward to it. I was today. raised. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, so I, I was raised fishing with my dad. So I, I lost, we'll get into this, I'm sure, but I lost my dad uh, just a little over a year ago now in March mm-hmm. of uh, of last year of Louis body dementia. Uh, I grew up a, a pastor's kid and we'll get into that in, in the history, I'm sure, but uh, did mo- mostly trout fishing with my okay. dad. So, you know, putting on the waders and standing in the river and, and grew up uh, my, one of my dad's uh, churches, uh, the longest tenure was uh, down in Northwest Arkansas, right on the white river. And so oh, wow. grew up fishing there and, uh, it's been interesting. I haven't. And then we, all the guys in my family, we would go to Canada to Lake of the Woods, just North of Minnesota every year. And it's most, mostly smallmouth bass fish, crappie okay. fish at night. And sometimes we do lake trout and walleye. If we were killing the bass and we kind of limited out, we would do that as well. Always eat shore lunch and whatnot. I was a blast. You know, I, the first year I went, I was, you have to be 13 to go. So it's kind of a coming of age sort of thing. And uh, I got to go with my dad, my grandpa and my great grandpa that first mm-hmm. year. So we had four generations of Reynolds, which is pretty cool. Uh, so I, you know, I miss that for sure. I haven't fished since my dad passed and we, we fished maybe probably, it's probably in three years ago was the last time I got to take my dad. And I remember telling my brother, I've got a brother, younger brother, three years younger than me. Uh, this may be it, man. This may be the last time we get to take dad. So we, you know, we were able to recognize probably the gravity of that situation. He's got two sons. I've got two daughters, you know, they, we, I've taken them fishing before they enjoy it, mm-hmm. but they, they wouldn't be like, dad, come take us fishing. You know, they, right. they want to go to Mexico to the beach or something. So, um, <laughs> I'm not against fishing. Certainly I would love to fish again, but I want it to be value. Like I won't fish when we all go to the intensive because it's a thing I do with my dad. Now at some mm-hmm. point if my grandkids or something, which I don't have yet, uh, say like grandpa, take me fishing. Obviously I'm going to go, I'm going to take them fishing. So, uh, yeah. it's kind of interesting. The, that's one of those things that I, it might be the thing I miss the most about, about my dad is just going out. And, you know, it was the, the kind of bringing it full circle the, it wasn't the fishing. Mm-hmm. It was the drive to right. the fishing yeah. and talking in the car. And it was standing out there in the river together and talking through those things, going to eat lunch 
at, you know, after, after a morning of fishing, like that was the, that was the thing. That's why we did it. As a matter of fact, my dad, he loved to fish so much. Usually after we do lunch, we go back and, and go to another spot and dad would fish. My brother and I would stay on the, on the bank and just watch him and talk and, you know, share. He's another uh, businessman. He's done been very successful in business. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's where it's at. I love that yeah. idea for discipleship that, what, yeah, that you're, you're going out there and, and uh, that's great. Yeah, well, we'll talk even a little bit more about your dad here in a little bit. I didn't know that you passed that recently. So sorry yeah. about that, but it sounds like you had some great time with him. So we'll we'll go ahead and pray, and then let's dive in a little bit to your history and what you do, and get to know For you sure. a little bit, and then we'll we'll talk about life, ministry, and and all that stuff. So let's pray. Love it. Father, we just thank you for this time. Ask for blessing upon this conversation. Thank you for Matt and all you're doing in his life through him and into the lives of other people as well. And I thank you for what you're doing in the church that he's a part of also with Brandon. And God, I pray for blessing upon this conversation just for the little time that we have. We want it to be honoring of you and encouraging to others in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, man. Well, bring people up to speed. Many of my listeners are going to know maybe a little bit about you. Maybe have heard you on some other shows or something like that. But tell us a little bit about yourself, sure. uh, your family, and then what you, what you have going on. Sure. Uh, so again, we'll probably dive in a little deeper on the, some of the history stuff, but I was raised a, a Baptist preacher's kid, uh, not reformed. Uh, I mean, I am reformed now, but I wasn't raised that way. And so uh, dad, dad was a great guy, had a great relationship with my parents. They loved each other tremendously and really taught us how to, how to do marriage. I'm, I'm about to be married. I'm about to hit my 25th wedding anniversary. And, uh, and so, um, man, I would, you know, raised dirt poor and in, in the Ozarks, and wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, I got really into, I, I was a smart kid. I was a decent athlete, um, was certainly not the best in, in by, by a long stretch, uh, but enjoyed competition, still do. Uh, when I got out of high school, I uh, wasn't good enough to play anything in sports uh, in college. And so I discovered uh, the sport of powerlifting, uh, which is where you squat, bench press, and deadlift to see who can, who can do the most weight. And they, they add those three together and, and to, to get a total. Uh, and I did that. I started doing that in, uh, 99, 1999 and did pretty well and, uh, totaled, uh, the top tier for powerlifting is called the, the elite level. And right. so I, I had an elite level total at, uh, three or four different body weights from, uh, two, 220, I guess, 220, 242, 275 and 308. Those numbers are weird. Cause they, they, uh, the kilos are, are more rounded numbers. And so I uh, right. did that. And then in, uh, 2005 turned my attention to strongman started competing in strongman like what your listeners have seen like world strongest man and stuff did that and uh won my pro card in 2006 actually at the same show that brian shaw won his awesome. who's since won the world strongest man four times he was the uh, super heavyweight and i was the light heavyweight uh pro uh amateur turned pro and uh competed on the world strongest man circuit uh through 2010 uh so for you know four years or so um opened a opened a gym in 2008 called strong gym here in springfield missouri in the ozarks we're a city of about uh, 200,000 people in the city and about 500,000 in the metro and it's it's pretty um it's it's where my gym was we were we were 10 or 15 minutes from all 500,000 people and so uh that gym really grew uh i i was actually a public school teacher back in those days man i'm okay. super thankful i'm not anymore we've homeschooled our kids uh their whole lives and so wife was a kindergarten teacher i was a i was a junior high teacher for most of my career uh, but the gym really started to take off and my, my fitness career took off. And so by, uh, opened the gym in 2008, left teaching and, and in 2012, I'd finished my master's to be a high school principal. And really by the time I finished my master's, I knew that wasn't the direction my life was going to mm -hmm. go. And so, um, thankful for that opportunity, thankful to be able to teach certainly is carried over 
if you can hold the attention span of 25 or 30 junior high kids, you can, you can certainly do that with adults who are paying <laughs> right. you money to hear you. So, uh, so it's, it, you know, it was a good experience, but thankful that I'm out of the public school, uh, government schools for sure. And, uh, went, went to the gym full-time in 2012. Uh, by that time that it was one of the largest or the largest maybe strength gym in the country. Uh, and then it continued to grow. I sold that gym at the end of 2015 to one of my business partners and went all in on online coaching. I saw, okay. I saw the problem of personal training, um, of just being a, a lack of flexibility and, uh, for people. So, you know, it's expensive and there's a lack of good personal trainers there. Um, you're, you're locked into a schedule and a location and, you know, you can only show up and meet your trainer on Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 11 in the morning or whatever yeah, it is right. that they have open. Uh, and it's crazy expensive. I mean, it's, you know, it's 500 bucks a month or, or more. And so, uh, and so I, I set out to, to launch an online coaching business, which is, which is now called Barbell Logic Inc. of Barbell, Barbell Logic. And, um, and we connect expert strength coaches with people who want that all over the world. And so we've grown to be a multi-million dollar business. We've got, uh, about 80 employees and, uh, and we really, we really coach people. So it's not just that a lot of people, when they think of online coaching, they're paying for a program, you know, they mm -hmm. pay a might be cheap 50 bucks 100 bucks whatever to get a kind of a cookie cutter template program we don't do that at all we we and we're totally vertically integrated so what that means is we 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 have our own software we've developed and it's you know cost us a couple million dollars for sure to develop that software but it's ours and no one else can use it and so that's that's you know in the in the in the world that's uh gives us a competitive moat for sure mm -hmm. and uh but then not only do we program for our clients our coaches actually break down your technique within 24 hours of every single workout you do. So you video yourself training, okay. video yourself squatting, deadlifting, whatever, upload it onto the app. And then our co the coaches break down those videos for you, whoever your personal coach is, within 24 hours. You, you'll see yourself squatting, but you'll hear a voiceover from me and a little picture in picture of me as, as well, or whoever your coach is. And so that's gone really, really well. And then we, um, we, we're in our eighth year now of uh, Barbell Logic Online Coaching and have since expanded into the government sector. We just landed a big uh, $1.25 million contract with the Air Force to okay. really provide that kind of service to the Air Force. And then this software and system of online coaching, most of our coaches make about $185 per hour, which is insane money for, for the fitness world. Most on, most personal trainers are making under $50 an hour. So okay. a lot of them $20 an hour, $18 an hour. And so, so to make, uh, upwards of $200 an hour gives me really the pick of the litter in the, in the strength coaching world. And, uh, and so we've started to license our software and our system of online coaching out to the rest of the fitness world to okay. strength coaches. We're in the final beta test stages of that before we push really hard to go to market. So, uh, man, God's blessed us tremendously. We, uh, we are, um, you know, I, I would have never thought the way this set up, I was a youth pastor in my early days and, okay. and, uh, have, have been involved in ministry in some sort for most of my life. We, uh, we launched Quorum Deo, uh, Reformed Baptist church with Brandon Lansdowne. It's been on your show and everybody knows, knows him and, and Reformation coffee. And, uh, and so we launched that about 10 or 11 months ago and uh, we meet in our home and uh, I'm a, I'm a, you know, part of that uh, planting group and part of the leadership of the church. And uh, man, I just love it. And so God's really blessed our, blessed our life, blessed our family. We've got two daughters, uh, 18 and 13, again, homeschool them. My 18 year old is about to graduate next month. And, uh, and so just, you know, just have a wonderful, live a wonderful life, get to get to yeah. work from home 
run a run this business as a CEO. Uh, you know, wife's a stay at home mom, and and homeschools our kids, and so we're home together as a family and get to That's eat awesome. meals together, and and uh, it's just been incredible. So yeah, God's blessed us Very tremendously cool. in business and family and church and. There's a part of me that's like, I, you know, uh, I don't, I don't want to be the pessimist cause I'm definitely a forever optimist, but there's a part that's like, gosh, life is going so well that, you know, what's the tragedy that's going to hit. And yeah, I don't want to think right. that way because it's just, yeah. it's just this, uh, certainly we've been in, we've gone through lots of times in our life that are difficult and we'll, we'll get into some of those I'm sure in the, in the podcast, but, uh, certainly the last few years has just been a, a tr- an overwhelming amount of, of blessings for us. So, yeah. so that's I mean, me. That's great stuff. And then something you didn't mention, and there's a ton of free information that you put out through your podcast, but it's Barbell Logic podcast, right? Here yeah, that you got going Correct. on as well. And you got what 400 episodes, something like that, that you've done over the years. Actually, I think it's about 600 episodes okay. because the series don't have numbers on them. So the, um, yeah, that was another thing that really that really launched the business uh, from a from just growing. I mean, it really helped us grow. Is that we launched this podcast in 2017, Barbell Logic podcast and it wasn't really meant to be a driving force for the business it was that i just i had been strength coaching for almost you know between 20 and 25 years and i had so much stuff in my mind that was taking up bandwidth in my head that i wanted to get it out there mm-hmm. um, i've certainly written some and had things published uh writing does not come easy to me and uh but speaking does i mean i just don't have the nervous gene and i'm able to speak and whether that's on on podcast or video or whatever and so so we started to, to make this podcast and it's called, it's called Barbell Logic because it was a systematic, logical walk through strength training and fitness and nutrition from, from the very, very basics in the beginning in those first like 10 or 15 episodes into more in-depth things. And so we, we just walked along that path. And so it was just the time was right and, and the niche needed it. And mm-hmm. so, uh, Anyway, that grew to be about a 200,000 downloads a month podcast, which is is oh. the it's the largest strength training podcast in the world and one of the biggest fitness podcasts. And so that helped and then and then also part of it was we kind of did things backwards. I I've never had the intention to be an influencer. You, you Barbell Logic is not built on the back of Matt Reynolds because mm-hmm. I want my business to be worth something and to and to bring value to both our clients and our coaches. And if I die in a car accident tomorrow, then, and the entire business is based on me, then the business dies. And so the business is based on the business and the value of the quality of the coaching, the customer service, the brand value, not on Matt Reynolds, which is why you don't see me making videos like Alex Hormozy or something where I'm an influencer. There's nothing wrong with that, but most people build that influencer uh, relationship first and they build some street cred that way. And then they're able to monetize that for us. We were able to monetize from the online coaching. And then as we moved into the content space, we could spend the money to have tremendous uh, podcast production, video post-production. We've got a huge YouTube channel, with lots of videos. Like you can, again, for people, I always say this on a podcast, you know, what we do is still a fairly high ticket priced item and it takes some trust building over time to do this. So certainly if your listeners come on and they decide to be a client of Barbell Logic, I would love that. One of the things we do is your first month is always 100% free. There's no catch. It's our job to keep you cost nothing. You, you don't pay a dollar, but where I tend to send people first is the content. So mm. the podcast is free and you can consume the content. The videos are free. We've got a ton of great articles and eBooks. I've got a, uh, an attorney who's no longer practicing attorney, but works for me as our editor in chief and writes articles for us. We, you know, we put out a couple articles a week, every week and have for years. And so I think another testament there to our growth is that we've just been consistent since 2017 in content content production. So here you are six years of making content and every single week, all the time, 
podcast videos and written. Mm -hmm. And so certainly all that stuff's free and you can find us easily online, just Google Barbell Logic or, or look it up on any of the social media or YouTube or whatever. And, and there's yeah. a ton of great content. Our job for, we look at content. The other piece of this is because we're not a content company, because we're a service company, content will always be free. I'm never going to put my content behind a paywall. And again, there's nothing wrong with that either for people who that's how they make their living is, mm -hmm. is by content, but there's my puppy back there. See him? Yeah, I see that. So yeah, that's, right. that, that's my new pup. Um, so we, uh, the content's free and it, the goal is to bring as much value as we can, uh, to our listeners. And then knowing that some percentage of those listeners and, and viewers will become paying clients of Barbell Logic at some point. Awesome. Okay, guys, hang on. We're going to get to ministry stuff, but I want to talk strongman stuff real quick. So I grew up watching Bill Kazmaier. Uh, let's see, mm -hmm. it was Magnus Samuelson back then as well. Kaz yep. was a little bit earlier than, than Samuelson. Yep. Um, and then yeah, Phil Fister was an American I yeah. believe that first first guy to win it first first American to win for, since since Kazmaier since, yep. since Kazmaier okay yeah uh, and then that uh, Marginis Pus uh, Puskanowski or whatever whatever his name was Marius, he dominated yep. Marius Puskanowski right. yep and Polish. then they're actually doing the strongman right now I believe is that right yep and Correct. did yeah, did Shaw yeah, this weekend okay and it's his he last was, one yeah his last one but he was doing some sort yep. of recovery leading up to he had some sort of leg infection or yep. something like that did he make yep. it I didn't see if yep. he made it in or not. I think he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, okay. I think he's in. So it's funny. I don't, it's, it's, that's, a, <laughs> I wish I were a little more up. I, man, I used to be so, obviously, when I competed, you're always into it. And even after mm -hmm. I, after I competed, oh, my puppy's barking. After, after I competed, uh, I was really into it. So strong, strong man has been, I, it's funny that uh, I, uh, was really into that competitive world, both as a competitor and then as a coach and kept up with all those things. Uh, but it's interesting at Barbell Logic, and we've got uh, we've we've coached over five thousand people over the last few years, and um, we coach normal people. We coach people like you. We coach middle aged guys, uh, and about thirty percent female as well. I've got a bunch of great female coaches that that we try to pair people usually female to female, male to male, and so uh, occasionally we'll have a coach that that coaches both a husband and wife together because they train together or whatnot. But um, you know, so because of that, that's that's really where my wheelhouse is now. It's just you know it's it's business executives and soccer moms and dads, and that's who our clientele is. And so uh, as I've gotten older in life, I've become a little, a little more removed from that competitive world. I still love to see it every once in a while. I follow all those guys still on social media and some, you know, the guys that were just coming up as rookies as I was, as I was getting out they're they're now kind of hitting the end of their career. And so mm -hmm. some of those guys that you mentioned in the beginning, I never got to compete against Marius because back in those days, he only competed in the world's strongest man, the best I ever okay. got was 12th in the U S you had to be top three at the time, but all those other guys, Magnus Samuelson, I competed with, I actually trained with him a few times as well. Wow. Um, great, great guy, you know, Magnus for Magnuson mm -hmm. competed with him. I mean, a lot of those guys. So, um, yeah, the, it's a great group of guys They're The thing about people when they're, I mean, the strongest in the world is they're always very gracious, very generous. They don't have anything to prove. They don't have a chip on their shoulder. So they're, they're, the the camaraderie there I mean even the even from a competition it's it's pretty rare that you would see professional strongmen that have like a big rivalry where they actually don't like each other occasionally okay, it gotcha. happens but it's yeah. really rare because I think ultimately you want these guys to do the best they can possibly do you just want to do better and beat them so it's it's actually strongman feels less like a team competition or I'm competing against somebody and more like I'm competing against myself. Mm -hmm. And if I do what I'm supposed to do, then the, you know, I'm going to, the, the places are going to figure themselves out. And so, yeah, yeah but yeah, cool. strongman, I think world strongest man's going on right now. And 
um, you know, good luck to the Americans for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Well, you're not the only friend of mine that's got experience with Strongman and then in ministry as well. My buddy Joey that you're going to get to meet uh, has been training in Strongman for the last year and a half or so. It's been pretty cool to watch his development. And he's going to have some things. He's actually going to be pouring some and making some Atlas stones for us. We're going to be picking up some Atlas stones at the intensive and a few other things that he's bringing for us that should be a good time. But I do want to switch gears and talk ministry a little bit. You said your father was a pastor. We heard a little bit about him. And somehow or another, you've been in youth ministry and now you're going to be in your you're an elder in training. And so it seems like, I mean, maybe at some point in your life, you did say something like this, but you're not the guy that said, my dad's a pastor. I'm never going to be a pastor. Because it seems like, you know, sure. you've had that experience and you're you're continuing to walk in that or pursuing that. So I'd love to hear your history with growing up in as a as a PK, what people call PKs, sure. pastors kids. And yep. and then, you know, if that was a positive experience, and then now, I mean, in your early 40s, you're pursuing being an elder now. And so I'm just curious of, of what that process has been like for you. Sure. Yeah. I, again, I had a great relationship with dad and mom. Uh, I think dad was was a very good pastor. He he uh he was, it's funny, uh, later in life, you know, as I, as I became reformed and Calvinist first and then fully reformed, uh, my dad never got there. He is now because he's in heaven. So he's definitely reformed at this point, <laughs> but, uh, a joke, um, you know, um, again, I think dad led church really well. Uh, he was faithful to the scriptures. Uh, he taught us the gospel in, in, in a tremendous way. He taught us how to love our, you know, he loved my mom. He loved, loved us kids. Wasn't perfect and typical pastor probably spent too much time working on pastor stuff and not enough time, you know, playing catch and, or whatever those things were. And so, uh, but, but I had a great relationship with my dad and I have no animosity built up there. That's not actually the case for my younger brother and sister. They both have a little bit of, of some of that stuff and, uh, they're neither one of them are, are Christians and, um, so they so they've fallen away and I have pushed deeper into into the gospel, into God's word and into into things that, that are um you know that really matter in the faith. And so um yeah, when I was when I was in college, I was just you know, I was I was uh I, first off I was saved when I was fourteen, okay. uh in August tenth, nineteen ninety three, and had a very real, you know, I again I don't think everybody needs to have that exact date and know the exact time and place for me I was under a lot of conviction for a long time uh in my early teenage years and so when God got me he got me and it, mm-hmm. it re- literally felt like without getting too woo woo uh like a like a a yoke lifted off my shoulders at the literal moment of salvation it was like wow. you know I don't have to de- I don't have to fight this this uh this conviction anymore you know again at the time we certainly weren't I wasn't raised post mill or anything I thought there was going to be a left behind rapture. I can remember waking up yeah, in the middle absolutely. of the night, like checking my family to see if my family was still <laughs> in the house. And so, uh, my younger brother at the time, and at least made a profession of faith. And, uh, and so I was, I was worried about those things. And so, um, anyway, by the time I, I, I was in a great youth group growing up and actually where my, I met my wife in the eighth grade in, in youth group, she's a couple years older than me. She was beautiful and the homecoming queen. I was the nerdy little eighth grader didn't hit puberty puberty till he was 16 you know and so so we were she was five five and I was the same height as a sophomore uh but I had a great youth group and again in a church that was at the time my dad had had uh taken up paused his uh pastorship he's also a civil engineer and and we had moved back to Springfield Missouri so we we grew up in church around Memphis Tennessee actually West Memphis Arkansas which is a really tough area in the northwest Arkansas 
and kind of the mountain home area yeah. that that was that was a good experience you know I, I you saw the stuff kind of behind the scenes of like the difficulties of dealing with church and people and deacons and and whatever but for whatever reason it didn't it didn't really rub me super wrong i just recognized again knowing now people are just depraved and they do depraved things and at the right. time i just recognized that that's the way people are and so um you know my my dad was certainly a bit of a a people pleaser and not and not to the point that he would um that he would skew the gospel because of that he just i think he he bore a lot of stress to try to make sure that that people were happy and so yeah, um right. so you know i saw that and and recognized that in him he was very uh he was very emotive he wasn't at all effeminate as my you know he's a big 235 pound guy and he was strong and a and a athlete and a fisherman and all those things uh but he was always the guy more than my mom would who would who would come up to us and tell us as kids that he loved us give us hugs uh, he he was really good at that, and so um, and my mom was was not as much that way. So it's kind of an interesting relationship that we had. And again, it wasn't that dad was effeminate or not masculine in any way, mm -hmm. shape, or form. He was. He just he was just not embarrassed by his emotions. And so mm -hmm. and then all of the Reynolds, all of the men in the Reynolds family have a reputation for being criers, which I I wish I I weren't. But uh, we get choked up a lot. But uh, you know, and specifically on on uh spiritual matters and so it's mm -hmm. i'm not getting choked up at hallmark commercials or anything right. but it's uh right you know it's um it, and it's not it's not getting upset or or crying or something when you're mad or or your feelings get hurt it's not nothing like that it's just that i think the gravity of the gospel and the more you experience in life it just you know you you feel that weight and so mm -hmm. um anyway so i so i got into ministry when i was when i was fresh out of high school a freshman in college i, I actually the missouri baptist convention put me in a um, sort of missionary position in, in kind of an inner city poor church to lead their youth group. And here I was, luckily I didn't have any seniors that first year. So I was at least a couple years removed. Right. Um, I, you know, we, uh, our church, as you, you probably know, uh, I, I wouldn't really agree with the concept of youth group and youth pastors and whatnot. Anyway, at this point, I, I, I think we can, we can all share and learn together and and that's uh you know we want to have corporate worship that includes everybody and not segregate people by by age or sex or whatever the thing is and so mm -hmm. uh, but at the time we didn't know any better and so i'm thankful for the years that I, I was a youth pastor graduated from college and uh and thought that my calling was then to be a teacher and that would be how i quote unquote ministered uh in retrospect it was probably not a great move to, okay. to get out of ministry at the time certainly didn't leave under bad circumstances at all left under great circumstances and and uh, but um, started to go down a path of of really pretty intense sin in uh, about 2006. That started and uh, ended up ended up having uh, at the same time I was a professional strongman and and traveling all over the world doing these things. Actually ended up in a handful of extramarital affairs that were very difficult mm -hmm. on my obviously on my wife and my marriage and uh, and so um, you know just really fell away for from for about five or six years till till maybe uh till about 2012 and uh and then god god rescued me out of it is all i all i can say i mean i was caught in my sin and and um you know thankfully i was deeply repentant and mm. uh and 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 turn life around and of course it took years to repair to repair our marriage and uh yeah. And so th those were those were incredibly difficult times, and I, there's still times where I, I I believe that the the enemy is trying to be an accuser, right? That's mm -hmm. the, one of the main things that we see that that he does. And so 
that that I get caught up sometimes in, you know, I'm a I'm an elder in training and I'm I'm helping lead church and and I'm a CEO and and do these things and then I get these thoughts in the back of my head that's like that's not this is actually who you are the guy that cheats mm-hmm. on his wife and um, I have to fight that I still have to fight that and, and that becomes you know fewer and far between as time goes on uh, God you know man in God's mercy my wife who had every uh, biblical and legal right to divorce me didn't and wow remain faithful and and yeah and yeah praise god and so uh she she's my very best friend and god has completely healed our marriage and we've seen what the gospel can can actually do in not just the process of of justification but what it does in the process of sanctification which has been incredible yeah. and so um you know it's been uh because of that though because of what we went through i really thought that i had disqualified myself entirely from ministry. And again, at the time I wasn't in ministry, I didn't have to leave under, you know, these, these terrible circumstances or whatnot. Although, you know, we were very active in, at church at the time and I was under church discipline as I should have been. And, um, and, but I'm thankful for the way the pastors of that church walked through that with me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in that period of time, you know, in the 20, 2012 sort of years, these were also the years that I discovered guys that we probably wouldn't, well, definitely wouldn't agree entirely with, but there was the, you know, John Piper and Matt Chandler and Tim Keller and, and those guys. And at the time they were kind of the leading force of, of, you know, what, at least what I saw as something different. Yeah. And so really had a, you know, started to search for a better handle of, or a got sort of a gospel awakening. I was certainly a Christian, but, um, but to, there was there was something that happened in my life there where I I got the weight of yeah. the gospel. Yeah. And right. and again became became someone who uh believed in the doctrines of grace and and uh the sovereignty of God and and becoming all in on all five points of Calvinism. And then and then it's just uh I've continued we continue to serve faithfully for the last 10 years, thinking that we'll just serve and we led life groups and and that we were all went to the same churches as my as Brandon Lanzon, my current pastor, who's a pastor at our at our old church. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, served there for 10 years. And I, I even would teach membership class and and things like that a lot of times. And then over time, as the church grew, and we got a more plurality of elders. Those guys would take that over, but I had a great relationship there. But again, just kind of felt like uh, I was disqualified. And then over the past couple of years, more and more people, including my my uh, pastor of the previous church and Brandon and, and other mentors of mine that I really trust have said, you know, you you need to really pray about eldership because yeah. I think, you know, God, God be calling you into that. And so it was, uh, you know, it, it's something that I've been excited about to pursue, mm-hmm. but again, just sort of like, I want to make sure that we're not taking a step. That's a place that I'm, I'm disqualified. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, 10 years, God, God can, uh, and has, uh, reconciled, forgiven and reconciled and, and really use those times in our life. Rachel and I have had the opportunity to, to counsel tons of couples who have gone through similar situations uh, as us. And so, uh, so God's used it. So I'm not in any hurry to get there. Uh, I think it's my job to live a life worthy of an elder. And that when the time comes that, uh, he impresses on Brandon's heart and the, and the, and my church, uh, to call me into that, then, then we will. And so right now we're just, I meet with Brandon really just about every week and, and very dedicated every other week. And we're walking through, um, the glorious body of Christ and, and eldership and all of those things. And just having great conversations and I'll say this, I know I've gone down, I've talked for a long time, but that God has done a tremendous work in us, even over the last year at Quorum Deo, because, you know, I thought uh, if you had asked me five years ago, if I was reformed, I would have said, yeah, of course I'm reformed. 
Um, but I wasn't really. I was Calvinist, which mm-hmm. is, you know, all people who are Reformed are Calvinists, but not all Calvinists are Reformed. And so mm-hmm. um, we, you know, we didn't hold to a confession. I couldn't have told you what the 1689 London Baptist Confession said. Um, we weren't, uh, didn't necessarily put emphasis on dominion mandate and covenant theology and post-mill uh, eschatology and patriarchy and all of the things that we hold very dear to us now. Um, we didn't then, and it, it was more out of ignorance than it was out of, it wasn't yeah, because right. we disagreed with them. It was just that I didn't, didn't know. And so, so God's done a tremendous work over the last year in us at Quorum Deo and just being able to walk through those things. Um, mm-hmm. you know, even the way we do our liturgy or, or Psalm singing or communion, all, all of those things are so intentional at Quorum Deo and we've been able to take those things and run with them. And so, um, leading my family in, in family worship and walking through those things, whether the scripture readings or whether we're watching a, 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 it's not exactly family worship, but we, we spend a lot of time watching, you know, Christian documentary stuff, Canon plus stuff or, oh, yeah. or things on, um, um, uh, what's the, uh, like founders minister, Tom Askell stuff, you know, on worship. And these are, they're so good. And so we've just been able to walk through that and have tremendous conversations as a family over the last year. And so, I'm just excited with what God has has shown us. I I I think one thing that we are blessed in is that the, there's a culture in our family where I'm not wired with the uh, the rebellious spirit of I've grown up this way, I believe this way, therefore if you present something to me that I haven't been raised in it's just wrong and I'm going to mm-hmm. fight it. I don't do yeah. that. I want to know. Like how can you not want to know? I see this all the time. This is to me one of the I'm going to paint with a broad brush here, but one of the biggest issues I have with millennials and Gen Z is that they they are naturally rebellious. Just because you told me to do it this way, I'm not going to do it that way. Mm-hmm. And when somebody comes along and tells me, like, let me tell you why male headship, patriarchy, these these things are so important. And even for me, when I first started hearing that, I was like, ooh, that's sort of just like a, a word that in culture today is. And you can't get away from it mm-hmm. scripturally. Yeah, And so... Um, and so I, I've been incredibly grateful to hear those things and then to, and Brand, I think Brandon enjoys it because Brandon doesn't have to walk through those things with me very much. He just plants the seed and then lets me, and then I run yeah, and because I, I, I value scripture so much. I just dive in and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, I had never really thought about eschatology. I just, mm-hmm. I just didn't care. A lot and of guys are in that same, like, I don't same know. boat. Yeah. It's like God, God wins in the end. And then when you recognize that, wait a minute. It actually completely changes the way you operate on a day-to-day basis. If you if you understand that Jesus is actually reigning today and is king today, and we we're post mill, we believe that he's reconciling everything to himself right now. That completely changes the way you. Re- I don't have to worry about leaving what the world is going to be like with my to my great grandkids or great grandkids. I I know that it's moving in a direction that Jesus is on. Jesus is already on the throne, so mm-hmm. you know all authority has been given to him on heaven and in earth. And so it does matter. These things mm-hmm. matter. And yeah, so absolutely. it's been wonderful for us to, to be able to walk through those issues and just, uh, just fall in love with that. And so awesome, it's man. really, it's really sparked a fire for our family, for, for the Lord and for, and for the Bible and for ecclesiology, like all those things really matter to us. And so yeah, it's been great it's good stuff, lots of good stuff. And, uh, we have been really fortunate and really blessed by the Lord. The last few years, we've had several guys that have come and to, uh, but wanted to be a part of our elder training process. And so in the last year, we've had three men that have presented a formal letter of request to join the program. And we have a two-year process of guys 
working towards eldership. We have books that they read. They join us in elder meetings, elder retreats, pastors and wife retreats, that, that sort of thing as well, yeah. and have been working on this process. So I asked Brandon what the process has been, and then I told him that I'm going to be asking you on the flip side what, what it's been like. So, I mean, obviously, you just explained some of what your training is, look, is, is looking like, but from your side, are you going through books? You just working through some things together with, you know, with Brandon, yeah. or are you are you functionally, uh, if not formally, are working and in, in kind of doing the role of an elder within the church? So, what's that process yep. then look like for you as you march toward, you know, Lord willing, being an elder at at Quorum Day? Sure. Yeah, you know, I think we're building some of that as we're doing it now early as, as well. So Brandon's trying to lay out the sort of system of that or the standard op- standard operating procedure that knowing that everybody's different and we'll start in a different a different place and a different age and different experience. And so, uh, yeah, the first thing we started going through was glorious body of Christ by, by Kuiper. And, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. Uh, he's able to say so much in a five word sentence that it just, you know, the, the whole thing is just highlighted and underlined and things are circled. And, uh, I took it down to Mexico a few months ago and read it on the beach and I'd be, I'd be crying on the beach. <laughs> the Reynolds, the Reynolds cry, crying on the beach. My <laughs> wife's like, I'm like, yeah, I got to read this. I got to read this to you. I'd read it out loud and we're sitting on chaise lounges, you know, tanning and, and I'm reading the glorious body, uh, to her. And then, and then the, um, the book on eldership, yeah. uh, walking the, through the those book. things. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, walking through that as well together. And then, and then, uh, you know, I would say I'm not fun- functionally, um, operating as an elder. Uh, I think our church is very young and Brandon and I are the only two that are in our mid forties. Um, because I've, because I've been in ministry in the past and, and it's certainly not the same thing, but because I, I run a big company and, and lead a big company and deal with people on a daily basis and have just built up and pursued wisdom for many years. I think Brandon leans on me a lot for some of those just wisdom decisions. And, and so yeah. we'll usually meet and we'll talk specifically about the books and what we're reading and the things that have come out and the places of truth or places that I have pushed back about something that's been written, or are we sure we see it this way? And, and um, so we'll walk through those things and, uh, but well, then we'll also always walk through what's the what what's the church going through right now? Like what are our struggles, mm-hmm. what's going well, what's not going well. And, and he'll, he'll, it, it, I don't know if I would say he leans on me. I mean, I think he does lean on me for stuff, but I also think he's there's a there's a testing process where he's asking me, he allows me an opportunity to to like how would you handle this mm-hmm. at an at an elder, knowing that he probably already knows how he's gonna handle it, but he's just making sure that we're aligned there. So rather than just telling me, well, this is how we're gonna do it, he he'll ask those things of me. And and, and mm-hmm. I think that's uh that's been really good. And then there's you know, there's been things that forced me to think about about how how we handle these things. You know, we've talked a lot this past week about, you know, how do we correct or, or reprove members of the church in, in the right way? And it's, and it's, I think it's really different for different personalities. Like we we're called to always speak the truth to them, right? Mm-hmm. We're called to do that. But, but there are times like, again, if I, if Brandon has the personality that if there's something that I see in his life that needs to be dealt with, I can just tell it to him. I don't have yeah. to do the compliment sandwich with him I, because I know he's going <laughs> to, well, while no one likes to hear the critique and while your natural uh, response is to get a little bit defensive, at least in, and maybe for Brandon. And I think for me as well, like you're not going to verbalize that defense. You might think it at first, like, I don't know that that's true. And then you, but as you, I trust Brandon, I think he trusts me as well to, to chew on those things. And because we want truth, because we want to be corrected, because we want to be reproved, then we're going to take that well long term or down the road. And so for other members of the church, depending on where they are in their in their spiritual life, there are times that you have to you have to 
do that very carefully. The last thing you want to do is is just come across as so overly brash mm-hmm. that it you know it actually it actually sends the sends that person the wrong direction. And so uh, you know walking through things like that's been really good. And then and then also I think the place where I'm I'm really able to bring something to the table, and I think this will be the case even as as I become an elder is is in that um administrative and managerial role mm-hmm. let me first off let me say i can't wait to preach I, I like i think every pastor has to be able to preach and and teach the scripture and i love that and i i think god has has blessed me with a gift to be able to do that um but i also i can see that brandon is a tremendous leader as a pastor in the in the spiritual realm and spiritual world and walking through uh caring for the souls of, mm-hmm. of our people um, but but he would tell you as well that that he needs some support in that managerial organizational yeah, absolutely administrative like what yeah. I do as a CEO and again I want to be careful saying that because it's not you're not a CEO of a church it's not the same thing but there are a lot of similarities in, in how to do that how to do it well and and how to have the right systems in place to make sure that what what that what that keeps you from doing it I, I had a great conversation with Brandon uh, a couple of days ago where I, I taught have you ever heard of the the Eisenhower matrix, the Mm-mm. urgent versus the important stuff. Oh, I have so good. Okay. So, so Eisenhower developed this thing and, it, and it's basically, it's a, it's a four quadrant matrix. I can do this really quick. So anything that you deal with in life is going to fall under one of these four quadrants, right? Not urgent, not important, urgent, not important, urgent and important, not urgent, but often the most important. And let me give you a quick hmm. example. So not urgent, not important. Video games, Netflix, porn, sports, right? You should purge those things from your life, right? And while some of some of them are overtly sinful, like porn, some of them aren't. Netflix isn't naturally sinful. Mm-hmm. But for those of us who are called to work, and especially for those of us who are overwhelmed with the amount of work we have to do, we've got to get rid of the not urgent, not important stuff. Mm-hmm. Then you have the ur- then you have the urgent, not important stuff, right? So that is mowing your lawn. Uh, answering phones, uh, you know, get a phone call, do the thing, picking up groceries, like whatever. Well, those things need to be delegated and automated out as much as you can. And Brandon and I both are a, at a great place because we've got uh, teenage kids who can, you know, tell Brandon, like, you should never mow your lawn. You've got <laughs> two kids who can mow your lawn, right? Yeah, so right. something shouldn't be done. And, and for me, I'll, I'm going to hire somebody to mow my lawn. Then you have the urgent and important stuff. And, and what will often happen is we spend way too much time and it's, it's both important and urgent. So that's, that's writing sermons for Brandon. It's roasting coffee. Like coffee has got to be, it's a side business that he has. It's a very important one. It's those sorts of things that they need to be done and they are important, but they have to be done on a good schedule and they can't, you can't what in the business world, this is called working. You end up working in the business so much that you don't get a chance to work on the business. And so certainly writing sermon, I'm not, I'm not saying to write a sermon efficiently. I'm saying that it needs to be scheduled. You need to know on Monday morning at 6 a.m., I'm going to get up and start working on my sermon. I'm not going to get distracted. So you've got to avoid distractions in those things. And the whole goal of this is so that you can get into the fourth quadrant, which is the stuff that is not urgent, but is the most important. That's pastoring. That's discipleship. Mm. That's family time. That's often training, working out. Yeah. Like whatever those things are that are very important, but often those are the things that get pushed off Mm -hmm. because you spend too much time doing the urgent, not important or the urgent and important for Mm -hmm. most of us men. uh, Well, for guys that are wired to be workaholics, and I think you probably talked about this, that guys tend to be wired either to overwork or to be or to be lazy. 
Mm-hmm. And for the lazy guys, they're str- they're going to struggle with quadrant run one, not urgent, not important. You've got to get rid of that stuff. For those of us who are wired to work, we often don't struggle there. We spend too much time in the urgent. And so yeah. the whole concept of this quadrant system is that the urgent is the enemy of the important. If you constantly chase the urgency, you never get to do the stuff that really matters, mm. the important yeah, stuff, good. which is the it's the discipleship. It's the spiritual disciplines. It's our own spiritual disciplines. Like how often as a pastor do our own spiritual disciplines suffer? We don't actually read, get in the word as much as we should or pray as much as we should because we're stuck doing the things that are urgent. And so to me, these are the places that, that I think I can bring something to, to Brandon and to Coram Deo mm-hmm. and can be a help in yeah. learning how I've had to really organize my life as a, as a CEO of this company uh, to be able to do these things, Scott, because so it for me, the way this works practically is I get up super early every morning. I wake up like four, four, four something every single morning. Don't set an alarm, get up, do my spiritual disciplines, you know, walk the dog, drink my coffee, do those things, do all. And then I move after that into my my urgent, important work, which for me is like online coaching, answering emails. So I actually online coach. I'm an actual coach answering emails, you know, notifications on our on our on base camp for projects and whatnot for the business. Then I train, I train mm-hmm. mid morning. I just got done training right before this with my wife, always train with my wife, which is a very important thing. And then that creates a transition period for me where then after that, I get to be CEO, Matt, I get to do the things that are like vision casting culture, you know, what the big stuff that I get to work on the business, not just in the business. And so, mm-hmm. and then at, at three o'clock or so every day, I'm done. I'm shutting down the work. And and when listen, when you're a business owner and CEO, the work is never done. There's mm-hmm. an infinite amount of work. I, you just decide every day, I'm done. It's three o'clock. It's family time. And I am insanely protective of my evenings for my, we eat dinner together every single night. We make dinner that's together. Awesome. We do family worship together. And that's there because I've been able to set my life up in that, in that organizational manner to think about the things that are urgent and the things that are important. Yeah. So, Phenomenal stuff. And it is invaluable when there's an elder that is gifted administratively, because I think a lot of guys are just like Brandon and I'm very similar where there's the big picture stuff there, there, the systems and structures and applications of the systems and structures when it comes to just the, 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 the nitty gritty details of, of the admin side of things and sticking to the things that need to be done. It can be difficult. You can miss what needs to be done just because you're not that administratively gifted. And so having that sure. for him is is critical. I love that there is a process that you guys are developing that. I think any church that doesn't have a process for young guys to step into pastoral leadership or pastoral just having a seat at the elder chair, any church that doesn't have that process towards ordination in place is a church that's on the path to death. Because you get your team and that team sits there and gets old, older together and Staggered. all the young, yeah. all the young leaders, they will find a place to lead. They'll find a church to lead. They'll find a church that has a process into that sort of leadership that will help them along the way to develop the giftings that God has, has put within them. So I love that you guys are developing that. I think it's critical. Uh, let's wrap it up like this. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell us, I ask every single person I interview to tell me why it is that you love Jesus. And what, what I do here is I, I take the ball, put it on the tee. And this is a whole deal for yeah. you to just praise God for his grace, because he has That's been great. certainly merciful to you. And, uh, and so, so yeah. Matt Reynolds, brother, why do you love Jesus? Oh man. Uh, because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can't, I cannot read that verse. I cannot read Romans eight and not get wrecked. Um, because, and, and, you know, I was, I have gone through the life of both the self-righteous elder brother and the prodigal. 
And so I can see it from both sides. I was the self-righteous preacher's kid. I wasn't the preacher's kid who was out partying and, you know, cursing and drinking and smoking cigarettes and watching stuff. It wasn't me. And, uh, but I went through that, but I did at 30, not at 17. And, um, and I did everything I could to lose everything, to lose mm. my family Man. to, um, you know, th- thankfully I never lost my faith. I never, I, mean, I was under, imagine the incredible conviction, but what a joy that when you really recognize that when Jesus died on the cross, he, he paid for that. The stuff that I, that I is the grossest, most shameful things I've ever done. And there never has to be condemnation there. And, yeah. um, you know, that I am wrapped in that cloak of righteousness. And that is so mind boggling to me that uh, like, and sometimes painful to think about that, you know, when Jesus was dying on the cross, was hanging on the cross, I am giving him all that crap that I did. And he took it on mm. voluntarily yeah. and gave me his righteousness because he loved me so much. Like to me, that's the, and this is why I get wrecked almost every single Sunday morning during communion, because I think about this thing. I just so it's so incredible. And so, mm. yeah, that's to awesome. me that that's where it's at. There are of course a million other things, but, but to me, that's the thing because that's, that's the stuff that when the accuser or just my own, depraved mind puts in my head that that's still who I am as this sinful person who, who, um, you know, is promiscuous and cheats on my wife. And I go, whoa, 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 that's not who I am. I've been saved completely from that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there is therefore no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, uh, man, I love it. I, I love that. That is just, I, I know most of us have been raised in this our, our whole life. And yet I cannot wrap my head around the goodness of mm-hmm. that and the goodness yeah. of the gospel. So awesome stuff. Jesus. Well done, brother. Well, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks Thank so much. I'm going to put all the information for everybody listening in that wants more info and links and all of that, that will all be included in the show notes. Again, guys, we've been talking to Matt Reynolds. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate it.